if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Onward now at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks for joining us on AM 1420. The answer. It is a Tuesday, the 22nd morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord 2020. Thanks again to Jack Windsor for talking Ohio politics with us. And, uh, you know, just to clarify something I asked Jack and I want to say again, it is my fervent hope that friends of Larry Oboff, the Ohio Senate president, who support him, have not been counseling him and encouraging him to uh, undertake this course of action, to put his own personal career uh, prospects with Mike DeWine via appointment ahead of the liberty of the constituency that put him in office. I really hope that he's not being emboldened by people who say, yeah, do what's right for you, Larry, not what's right for the rest of the state. I fear that's the case because I have heard from people who are friends of his who are also conservatives who uh, normally would be with me on this but I believe are putting their personal friendship and loyalty above the uh, the liberty of the people of this state. All right, let's leave that in the rearview mirror for the time being, although we are going to keep monitoring what happens in the state house today as they do have one last session scheduled here before Christmas. Uh, let's talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. One thing we can say is this, and this is from November 2nd, by the authority vested in me as president by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, and in order to better enable a rising generation to understand the history and principles of the founding of the United States in 1776, and through this form a more perfect union, it is hereby ordered as follows. And that order includes and uh, outlines the establishment of the 1776 Commission by the President of the United States. This was uh, announced back in November, and now, just over the weekend, we had an announcement of the membership of that commission. It will be chaired by Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, which I take some pride in because my daughter is a sophomore there. And among the other 17 members of this commission are Salem Media's own Charlie Kirk. You hear Charlie at noon every day on AM 1420, The Answer, and my guest. Peter Kersenow, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, Cleveland attorney, columnist, best-selling author, can now add member of the 1776 Commission to his very large business card. Hey, Peter, how are you, my friend? Doing great, Bob. Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. And to you as well. And congratulations to you, Pete. Pete, when this, um, actually we should go back 
prior to the establishment of the 1776 Commission, when we, you and I started talking about this, really we got to go back about two years, 18 months or so, um, to the, um, uh, the 1619 Project uh, put together and published by the New York Times. I think it's New York Times Magazine, not the actual newspaper, but New York Times Magazine. We have been talking about the danger of this fictional account that the 1619 Project put forth um, that turned into curricula to be used all across this country to try to tell people and teach our children that this country wasn't founded on freedom in 1776. It was founded on slavery when the first slaves arrived to North America in 1619. You and I have been talking about it ever since then. Now you get a real chance to do something about this miseducation of our youth by being on this commission. Can you tell me about that? Sure. Uh, you know, you... Um Got the predicate right, and by the way, thanks very much for all of your support on this. You have been uh, instrumental in our uh, pushback against the State Board of Education that's trying to inculcate 1619 Project principles into our educational system here in Ohio. This is being done nationwide, and it's not just the 1619 Project. It's probably the most visible manifestation of the corruption of American history and an attempt, and very often, Bob, you and I, who kind of wade in this milieu for a long time, um, understand that um, you know the term indoctrination has sometimes been overused and has presented the left with an opportunity to say, "Oh, the, the right's overreacting." That may have been the case maybe 40 years ago. It's no longer the case. This is pure, unadulterated indoctrination of our kids. It has nothing to do with history. In fact, Hannah Nicole Jones who is the principal mover and shaker at the New York Times Magazine behind the 1619 Project, finally, after all the criticism that was directed, uh, it began on the left. The Socialist Workers' Party paper uh, was the one that you know, really blew the whistle. I, I will take credit that I was the first on National Review to do so on a national basis, but they brought historians in leftist, left-leaning historians who said, this is a bunch of hogwash, you know, look, we, we have some issues with respect to history, but my goodness, this is nuts. And finally, Hannah Nicole Jones uh, raised her hands in surrender a couple of months ago and tweeted, well, this, wait a minute, this was never supposed to be history. If it wasn't supposed to be history, why is it in so many curricula across the country? It's indoctrination, not history. And what it teaches is, a first of all, it falsifies our history, but does so in such a pernicious fashion to make it appear as if the United States is the font of most of modern-day evil, that, in fact, there was very little laudatory about the founding of the United States or most of its history. It was principally founded, as 1619 Project uh, indicated, it was founded to protect and preserve slavery. In fact, in the 1619 Project, it maintained that the Revolutionary War was fought to preserve slavery. I mean, this is upside down. This, this is so toxic. And we're teaching kids this. And there are a lot of teachers who know better, but there are, unfortunately, a heck of a lot of teachers who don't know better, and even more teachers that feel compelled to teach this bilge uh, in order to keep their jobs. This is extraordinary, and what happens is we are atomizing Americans. Rather than, you know, one nation under God, we have embraced this principle of diversity like it's the, the greatest principle, diversity uber alles. Well, diversity without an underlying substrate of knowing what our history is about is a prescription for disintegration. In other words, 
You look at the Chinese, they're unified. Now, they may be unified because of oppression, because they're forced to be unified, but I'd rather have, for example, a basketball team or football team that plays cohesively in a unified fashion that one that goes off on its separate ways. You can be diverse but unified. Diverse, di- uh, frankly, the diversity they talk about is one that is, you know, it's a version um, of racism. It is identity politics. But the point is that this history that they've been teaching in our schools, K through 12, also colleges, is number one, false and we want to correct the narrative. Number two, it's very dangerous. We have seen the consequences of at least some of this indoctrination when you look at what happened over the summer in the riots, when you look at what's happening in our schools with this obsession with identity, race, sex, with this obsession. Look at, look at Biden in uh, pointing people to his cabinet. He keeps saying, well, this is the first Native American, this is the first this, this is the first that, or if it's not the first, because let's, let's be frank, very rarely is anybody the first these days, but he keeps touting their qualifications, not on the basis of competency, accomplishment, uh, intellect, any of the other meritorious qualifications. It's simply a matter of how they look. You uh, all due respect to all the individuals who... Biden is appointing. Take a look at each individual. We have a representative here from the state of uh, Ohio who is going to be the head of HUD, who has absolutely no experience in this. I mean, and in terms of intellectual acumen, compare her to Dr. Ben Carson. But the only qualification is who that individual is, what that individual's identity is. That is um, a prescription for the United States dissolving on its own and maybe not. Uh, in a you know, distant, distant future, we are vying with a country that is really serious about overtaking us, becoming the premier country in the, in the world, and they do not have our intentions, our best intentions at heart, as, as is evidenced by their behavior in the release of the coronavirus. So uh, that's a mouthful to say. This is, I think, a very important commission. The real question is, how long does it remain in existence? Because, well, um, let, let me let me uh, let me ask you about that. It's my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Because this is an executive order, this is not something that the incoming president, if it turns out that way, and it's looking more and more likely like it will, that he can just dissolve. That this uh, there would have to be uh, some sort of underlying crime that would be committed or violations of uh, federal policy by a commission for it to be dissolved, one that has been given a one-year mandate to uh, to do its job. And that's my understanding, is you guys have one year to uh, come back with a report on how to uh, educate our youth properly on american principles and the founding of our country in 1776 am i am i incorrect well there are two things with respect to that there's practical and legal considerations there have been a couple of federal court cases uh recently one of them that may have uh a tangential effect on this and i haven't really thought about this as uh uh closely as i as, as i would have but you look at the daca decisions uh a little bit different 
uh, it dealt with executive orders dealing with immigration and said that if the president didn't go through certain hoops, Administrative Procedure Act hoops, that he couldn't simply dissolve and act the administrative act that was, or an executive order of the Obama administration. That may have something to do with this, also Biden's attempt to dissolve this. But there's also the practical aspect of it. Um, the manner in which this commission was established, and the reason, therefore, is a patriotic one. It's not an indoctrination one. It's a correction. It's to make sure that history is accurate and doesn't denigrate the fine history of the United States. Um, If Biden comes in and says, I'm going to dissolve it, he's going to have to come up with a reason. I'm sure they can, and the media will try to give him as much cover as possible. But it, it is not a good political position to be in, to be on the side of dissolving something that's patriotic and honors America and Americans. So uh, from a practical perspective, he may have a little bit of hesitancy, but the left is on the march. And the left's only selling point right now is identity. Their policies, and this is, look, looking at this thing objectively, the policies stink. (laughs) And that's putting it mildly. Every one of their policies make absolutely no sense whatsoever. I've said very often, I think you have too, that some of them are outright insane, so they need to make sure, in order to maintain a coalition that will put these people into office, that the driving force for them to uh, keep these people in office is an appeal to identity, as if to say, vote for Democrats, which is what they've always done. Vote for Democrats because we're good for blacks, or we good for, we're good for transsexuals, or we're good for whatever the group may be, even though those groups, year in and year after, year out after giving them their votes continue to fall behind or don't progress at the rate that they should so long-winded explanation to say i don't know Uh, i don't know what's going to happen um i'm hopeful we're moving forward as if we're going to be in existence for the term of this commission we uh, we're going to produce a report related to this uh this project that is that we want to make sure that the 1776 project does promote accurate historical education not, okay. you know, it's, it's sometimes couched as patriotic. Accurate is patriotic. Yeah, agreed. That's, that's all we're talking about here is factual information, not necessarily propaganda. There's a difference between the two. Peter Kirsten and I will continue with us right after this. By DJ Derek, that this uh, song wasn't uh, random in the uh, playlist to come back in, that it was a personal request of uh, Peter Kirsten. Is that right, Pete? That's exactly right. Now, that's good music. <laughs> yes, it is. Although I stopped uh, hearing it as anything other than the New World Order in- entrance music uh, in the late 1990s. And I can't hear it now without thinking of Hulk Hogan coming to the ring uh, with, that, uh, <laughs> with, with, that, with that playing. Uh, Pete, all right, um, there's so many other directions to go with this, but I want to stay on the 1776 Commission and what you are fighting. Now, what I'm about to play for you, you've heard before, and so has the audience, but um, I'm going to play it again. Now, this is a little different than the education of our children, but you and I have talked about this at length, that schools and workplaces um, uh, are, are kind of all in the same mindset here and that is that being white is an evil thing to be you are automatically judged to be racist etc and you owe a debt of um uh to to you know people of color bipoc if you will 
Um, children are being taught that in schools. Employees are being taught that mandatorily in uh, in workplace environments all over this country now. And I'll play just a little example of this. This is critical race theory in a nutshell. All white people are racist. This is Ashley Shackelford. She was a presenter at one of these corporate board meetings in which uh, employees were forced to attend. Not board meetings, corporate uh, employee meetings where they were forced to attend and be taught how to dissolve their own whiteness. All white people are racist. So (laughs) I put this up because I really want any white person in the room to know up front that this is what we're dealing with, that it's not going to be this coddling of white tears and what that looks like. We're not going to discuss, oh, maybe some of us have worked it out. No, you're always going to be racist, actually. So even when you're on your path to trying to figure out how to be a better human being, um, because I believe that white people are born into not being human, like that actually instead of people of color and black folks being dehumanized, that actually everyone is dehumanized off rip within white supremacy, that y'all are born into a life to not be human, and that's what y'all are taught to do, to be demons. You've heard that before, Pete. I know uh, yeah. you may have the unfortunately the image in your mind that I actually have in my eyes right now, as this is the um, rather um, uh, oversized uh, woman in the unitard uh, standing before a corporate board meeting in a single leotard, head to toe leotard, trying to tell everybody not to pay attention to what she looks like, but understand that you are racist, and even as you make your journey toward being human, which you're not you are still going to be racist, and you always will be. Pete, this is, this is what's going on in corporate America, in, in, in you know the American workplace, and it is, of course, what is going on in the American schools. I don't see how this country can stand. I know it's a cliche, the old adage about united we stand, divided we fall. I don't see how we do anything other than fall if this is the division that is going to be taught to everybody from eight, age 8 to age 80. Yeah, and you know that that's a great tape, uh, and I, it was uh, I think originally publicized by Christopher Rufo of the Manhattan Institute City Journal, um, and I had sent a letter to Seattle's mayor and others on this, indicating that first of all, among other things, aside from every other thing that your audience currently thinks about it, uh, it is unlawful. They segregated employees on the basis of race in order to indoctrinate them, actually harangue them. But that's employees. Those were adults, as bad as that is. It's also occurring almost verbatim in K through 12. You have third graders, second graders being exposed to this bilge. It is nothing more than or nothing less than child abuse, aside from the historical aspect of it, the the academic integrity of it and everything else, which is completely corrupted, you wouldn't allow your kids to be subjected to something similar to this by an adult, random adult on the street, yet it's being mandated by school districts. It's also occurring on the collegiate level. In almost every institutional environment, something similar is occurring. I've heard from so many employees of major employers and medium-sized employers, and it's probably occurring you know, among smaller employers also, where the fad of the day now, especially after George Floyd, is to bring in these individuals who have absolutely no credentials on anything. 
frankly. If you take a look at their, you don't need to have degrees or anything of that nature, but if you take a look at what they're teaching, first of all, it's just it, it, immediately on its face false. But if you look at their, their teaching credentials or what they, these are individuals who couldn't get a job anywhere else. And they're over here telling people that they are inherently racist. It's one thing, again, I'll say it again, it's one thing to do it to have a captive audience among adult employees. And I've heard from a number of those individuals. And and believe me, that's not easy for them. And it divides employees on the basis of race. Imagine being in a workplace and you're hearing this stuff. But to do it to second, third, and fourth graders, I, I, I think parents should be revolting. They they really should. I mean, if my kids were younger, I would never permit this. I'd be in that school in people's faces. I'm glad you said that, Peter, because after the news, when we come right back with you, we're going to talk about a school. Now, this isn't a public school. This is a private school in New York City. It's called the Dalton School. Maybe you know about this already, but we'll let everybody else know about it. The parents there are doing exactly what you just said. They are revolted, they are disgusted, and they are pulling their kids out in droves, especially now that the teachers there have issued a list of demands that make critical race theory look almost uh, reasonable by comparison. It takes it to the nth degree. And I'll get your reaction to that as we continue with Peter Kersenow, new member of the 1776 Commission ordered by the President of the United States. Right back after this. Please be aware, you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, it is 1037 on this Tuesday as we continue AM 1420. The answer with Peter Kersenow. Uh, I always introduce him as a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He, Pete, how are you going to find time to go to two different commission uh, meetings along with keeping your law practice rolling and writing books and writing? I mean, honestly, man, how do you take on another commission, this time the 1776 Commission? Well, this is very important, uh, and it, it needs to be done. But aside from that, I, I, I want to give an apology out to your listeners who, they're great folks. They contact me with individual issues they've got and questions they've got, and very often I'm late in getting back in touch with them. And it's for the reasons that you just mentioned, Bob. It's not that I'm disregarding them. It usually takes me several days sometimes before I can answer a question. <laughs> very often these questions require a treatise response. I received one email just yesterday from a very great guy who had about seven or eight serial questions were almost like a con law exam. So I try to answer them as, as quickly as I can, but I do have other obligations, most notably my law practice, obviously, and the Civil Rights Commission. Bob, I am, I, I really do think I am that answer to the question in the first grade workbook, remember which one of these blo- objects does not belong. Um, I am uh, I'm very, very honored to be on the 1776 Commission, along with, as you mentioned, Dr. Larry Arn, who I think is the, one of the premier classicists in the country, if not the world. But there are also a lot of other folks, uh, you know, VDH, Victor Davis Hanson, who I know your, your folks know, uh, people who have a lot more knowledge on these issues than I am. Um, and uh, it's going to be a great endeavor, I think, for the country. It's going to be a, a, an interesting endeavor for me because I'm going to be able to rub elbows with these individuals and learn they're from. So, but you're right. It's, it's tough to do. Um, you know, I, I don't get a whole lot of sleep. And, you know, I, as you know, Bob, I, I like to run my hill. I like to lift my weights and stuff like that. And there's precious little time to do that. 
And I like you to host my show from time to time. And each time I ask you, you're not available because of all of these <laughs> obligations. And so now it's even less. Now it's even less opportunities. But that's okay, Pete. Let's uh, let's get back into the the real issues here. Now you mentioned uh, about, and we both have been mentioning about the schools. And you said if you were a parent, you would be outraged that your young children are being taught some of the things that we are discussing now, as it pertains to race uh, uh, and class and and so on and so forth, mostly race. Um, so let, let's talk about the Dalton School, because you and I both are aware of this. This is a posh $55,000 a year school, so it's a private school, and most people might say, who gives a crap what happens in those you know, rich schools? Um, but you should care, and, and, the, and this is the reason why. The teachers there have submitted a, I don't know, almost um, a demand, I guess. It's a list of demands. Um, where they are saying we will not teach unless these things are done. And this uh, this laundry list of things includes the hiring of 12 full-time diversity officers. I don't know what diversity officers mean or what kind of powers an officer has over diversity, but they want 12 of them at this relatively small school, given a fact it's $50,000 a year tuition. They want additional full-time employee, an additional full-time employee whose entire role is to support black students who come forward with complaints. They want to hire multiple psychologists with specialization in the psychological issues affecting ethnic minorities. They want to pay off the student debt of all incoming black faculty. So if you're white and you're working at that school, you keep writing those monthly student loan checks. If you're black, you're, you're good. Uh, they want to reroute 50% of all donations to the school to New York City public schools, which I find interesting. They want the school to pay for all of these new things, and yet they want to cut their uh, revenues in half, or at least by way of donation. Uh, elimination of AP courses. If black students don't score as high as white students do, then that course has got to go. Required courses for everybody, including whites, on, quote, black liberation. Reduced tuition for black students whose photographs appear in school promotional exper- uh, promotional materials. And on and on we go, Pete. I could do this. I mean, sadly, I got more, and I could go on and on. Right. But what I want to point out here is that finally the parents are speaking. According to the Daily Wire, they are fleeing. Um, Megan Kelly brought this up a, a couple of months ago. I don't think it was this particular school, but her students were undergoing the same type of indoctrination of race and being told that they were less than human, et cetera, et cetera. And she pulled her kids and, in fact, said she's moving her family out of New York City, or herself and her children. So parents are starting to listen. Now, Pete, this is, again, a, maybe a poor example because it's a rich private school, but this is going on at public schools where kids prop, or uh, parents can't pull their kids because they have no other options because the same people who are promoting all of this racism are the ones who oppose school choice. Right. And, you know, you're right that it's happening at a lot of places. I've heard from parents from schools all across the country. Uh, one that comes to mind is Loudoun County Schools right outside Washington, D.C., probably the, the richest um, area in the country. They're doing similar things there, and I've heard from a, a group of parents there who wanted me to, to intercede. Um, this is a growing cancer. Now, the Dalton school parents have got the wherewithal to pull their kids out of there and maybe cause some problems for that school. Um, it, it, when you think about what's going on here, 
the elimination of AP classes is going on all across the country. The elimination of SAT scores, the elimination of all manner of academic standards is being eliminated. And that's the natural progression, not just of 1619 Project and Critical Race kind of ideology, but from a long time ago when we started to implement affirmative action and did so in a manner where we took individuals who for no fault of their own, maybe out of poverty and other reasons, could not compete with other students and gave them a boost to go into certain classes that they were not prepared for. And then inevitably, they'd get lower grades and or fail. And it would happen over and over. It's been going on for 40, 50 years now, okay? And nothing or very little has improved. So finally, the left has understood, look, we got to do something about this. But rather than eliminate or to adjust to meritocracy, affirmative action, they decided to eliminate standards. I mean, it, 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 I mean, it's gotten to the point where it's almost absurd. It's almost like a Monty Python kind of cartoon where, I, again, I was involved where the FAA, the Federal uh, Aviation Administration was eliminating standards for air traffic controllers and were promoting people on the basis of race. You, uh, the movie Airplane couldn't come up with something more, more bizarre. We are threatening our viability by doing this. I, I can tell you one thing. The Chinese don't care about diversity officers. The Chinese care about having 12, not diversity officers, but, but excellence officers. We are going to lose to the Chinese if we continue to promote this insanity. It's more than just insanity. It's insanity plus idiocy. I understand looking at various uh, colleges that have gotten in touch with me, or at least administrators who have gotten in touch with me, alarmed by the progression that they're witnessing, that at some schools, uh, and I, Ohio State's one of them, I can't remember the exact metric, but there are schools that have as many as a 100 diversity officers, and they'll spend as much as 8 to $10 million a year on individuals who are sitting around and coming up with just the type of programs that you just described, programs that harm academic excellence, that increase division among the races. This is one of the premier battles of the day for Americans. If we don't get a handle on this, we will not have a United States of America as we understand it. They want to change America and understand that if they can delegitimize the founding of America, delegitimize the principles upon which it's founded, then that greases the skids to change America, because then there's no excuse to maintain the kind of things that we currently have, such as look at the assaults on the First Amendment, both free speech and religion. Look at the assaults on the Second Amendment. Look at the assaults on a whole host of amendments. It's an undermining of America to impose, and this is not hyperbole. As little as 10 years ago, I would have been reluctant to like kind of squeamish to say this because you would think I needed to be fitted with a tinfoil hat. But the aim here is to inculcate both economic and a cultural Marxism rather than do so at the point of a sword like has been done in so many other countries. They're doing so internally in the most pernicious, insidious fashion with our kids and then mandating mandating it top down among our employees and our institutions. If you watched uh, Tucker last night, for example, and I know a lot of your listeners do. I did. Um, you know, you watch Tucker and he talks about how uh, this is happening in our military of all places. That's mm -hmm. the last bastion. Yep. It happens there. It's all over. That's the real danger of a Biden administration because 
the Trump administration was the first administration that didn't, sim- didn't simply kind of raise its hands and said, oh, we don't really like this. They fought back actively, not just with the 1776 commission, but with executive orders that would roll back this kind of stuff. So this is, this is the battle of the day. And uh, uh, Bob, you're, you're great for bringing this stuff up on a regular basis. You know, Pete, uh, well, it has to be brought up because I, I feel like it's going to be brought up in a much worse way than just a couple of guys talking about it on a radio program. Um, parents are going to leave, and then when they realize they can't leave, as I mentioned in the beginning of that, um, you know, especially if they're in public schools and that's the only place they have to go, um, parents are going to fight. Um, people are going to fight. And, and I know this is certainly not something I'm advocating and I'm not calling for, but we, we, we've seen violence happen over racism in the United States in the past. In fact, some of it turned out to be what you might call righteous. And I'm talking, of course, about, you know, the, you know, getting civil rights passed in 1964. It took a lot of very, very, it took a lot of blood and sweat and tears for that to happen. Um, but that racism against African Americans or blacks um, needed to be eradicated, and equality needed to be, you know, pushed, and it was, and that's what makes this country great because it did that. Um, I fear, Pete, that it's just it's going to happen in the other direction here. White people aren't going to just sit there passively and be told you can't have this job because you're white you can't have this government benefit because you're white you can't um say the same thing that somebody else can say because you're white your students are going to be told they are less than human because they're white and on and on we go um your private property is going to be confiscated from you and given to did you see what bill de blasio said we are going to attack Systemic racism in New York City by redistribution of wealth. He said, "You better believe we are." And yeah, and that's really good. You know, you're going to take things from people based on either their class or their race, and give it to other people based on their class or their race, and expect there not to be a pushback. A pushback, Pete, that that might become violent because eventually, you know, people people don't stand for injustices in this country. They haven't before. And I don't think they will in this case, even though it's a different, you know, the shoe is on the other foot. It's important for all Americans to fight back on this, even if you're on the left or kind of, you know, you you don't even label yourself. This is an existential threat to our way of life. It is, I don't say this casually, and I think your listeners probably agree, anybody over the age of, say, 40 gets it. This is an existential threat the likes of which we have not seen. We could prevail against Imperial Japan, Nazism, Communism. We could prevail against all the external threats, but this is like a termite infestation from within. It is eroding all of our institutions, confidence, and it's pitting our, uh, one American against the other. Uh, we need vigorously to fight back in a peaceful fashion on this, but en masse. It starts, obviously, in most you know, clearly with elections, we have to do that. But it's on an an individual basis, whether it's a school district within your own workplace, which is tough. You have to be careful about that. Uh, but all of the institutions that have been, they have succeeded in the long march through the institutions. Well, we have to march back. If we care about our kids, if we care about our legacy, if we care about the prospects of the United States of America, this is the fight of our generation. If we don't win this fight, 
we will not have an America again. I am not exaggerating. I think your listeners get that. Yeah, I, I think they do, and I, and I hope they do. And uh, again, this is not something one would wish for, but if it isn't stopped sooner rather than later, Pete, it's an existential threat, as you said, to the republic, perhaps the likes of which we have never seen before. As you said, we overcame the biggest threats we've ever faced, from Nazism to Imperial Japan and the Cold War and all the rest. Um, and, and now we're willing to tear ourselves apart from within. It's, it's the biggest. Th- leftism, leftism will be our downfall before communism, before Nazism, before anything else. Leftism will be our downfall. It's a, it's a remarkable thing. Peter, always a ple- pleasure and a privilege to have you on. Thank you so much, my friend. Congratulations again on your appointment to that very important uh, commission. I hope that you are indeed allowed to do your work and that it is taken seriously and implemented at the end of the day. Uh, and uh, do me a favor, when you have your meetings, please tell, uh, please, uh, tell Dr. Larry Arn uh, hello from me and on behalf of my sophomore daughter. Will do, Bob. Thanks very much. Merry Christmas to all. And to all a good night. Uh, that's Peter Kirsten on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll be back after this. Okay, 10.54 now. I've got time for a little bit of uh, conversation with you between now and the top of the hour, but I also want to allow myself time to share a statement from Dr. Larry Arn on the uh, 1776 commission that Pete uh, uh, and I were just discussing that he is a part of, as well as, again, Salem Media's uh, Charlie Kirk. Very cool to know that Salem Media, by way of... uh, uh, Charlie Kirk is going to have a say in what is taught to our kids as it pertains to the founding of America in 1776. So that's very, very cool, as is Peter's uh, participation there. But Dr. Larry Arnas, the chair of that 1776 commission put forth by the President of the United States, and um, I've been reading uh, in Primus uh, the Hillsdale newsletter, and uh, he has made a statement about this that I do want to share with you. But let me go to Fran first, who is calling from South Euclid on AM 1420, The Answer. Fran, good morning. Go ahead. Hi, um, I've been listening to you and um, Peter Kersenow. Uh I love both of you. I'm a 40-year former teacher in um, one of the suburbs here outside of Cleveland. Um, I am a little confused about the obligation of employees and students to sit in a workplace and a classroom where they're being called demons and they're being accused of racist, uh, of being racist. Right. I don't understand why people have to sit through that. I mean, I would, I would never accuse someone of a German background of being a Nazi. Um, I, I just, I just can't understand how people sit. I don't and, think they will, Fran. That was my point to Pete. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I, they eventually will. I think they will eventually rise up. And if they can't get justice uh, by way of the courts, perhaps declaring such trainings and such, um, you know, assumed demon, uh, you know, uh, uh, demonic nature and all these other things declared illegal for, for schools and or companies to force on people, they're going to rise up another way. And it's going to be in a way that leads to some very devastating consequences, things that I never want to see happen in this country again, but they have happened before. I mean, what we are describing and what you are describing, Fran, is straight-up abject racism. You know, we've been taught 
and indoctrinated to believe that racism can only come from whites to people who are non-white. But this demonization of whites solely based on what people look like is the very textbook definition of racism that should never be tolerated in this society. Well, I'm hoping that this happens if teachers ever get back to the classroom. I'm hoping that students, um, I know it's going to take some uh, coaching from parents, Um, and other people for younger kids. But when these issues of the demonization of white people um, in a classroom or in a faculty meeting or in a workplace comes up, I hope, as um, Kirsten Al was saying just a few minutes ago, I hope people, regardless of color, who feel that this is wrong, and it is, get up and walk out. As students have done um, who are against um, gun ownership, I mean, people do not hesitate to walk out of the workplace and the classroom for all kinds of reasons. And if this isn't the ultimate reason, I, I just don't know what is. And I'm hoping, it seems to me like a peaceful protest, get up and walk out. Um, your your clarity know. on yep. this is very welcome, Fran. Your clarity and your your very very strong articulation of the real problem here is is appreciated. And I've got to go here, but I thank you for that, and I thank you for your phone call. And I hope you call back. Maybe we'll have more time to talk about it, even on tomorrow's show, um, because it is that serious. And I agree with you. White uh, people who are being insulted and being denigrated and being discriminated against in such a way are going to find a way to protest this and hopefully it's peaceful but at the end of the day if things aren't changed i fear the ramifications i do uh that's it that's all the time we've got thank you to my guests thanks to the crew thanks to you for listening we're back tomorrow on am 1420 the answer have a great day bye-bye